Well, I believe that we are a, uh, we're a community that can be real with each other. We say it every single week that we believe life is, is better together. And I, I want to kind of put it to a test here. And I want to start tonight maybe a little different than I have really ever started a sermon that I've ever preached before. That tonight I'm going to be a little bit more transparent, even more transparent than I was just a couple of weeks ago. We're talking about tonight just a, a collection of shadows. And if I had to be honest with you, I feel like I'm in the middle of one right now. I feel like this verse uh, I read today in my quiet time was one that I'm just like, that is exactly where I'm at, out of 1 Peter. It says that we need to stay alert. That we need to watch out for the great enemy, the devil, Satan, because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour those who call in the name of Jesus. And that's where I'm at right now. For those of you who were here at Collective just two weeks ago, I, uh, I opened up a little bit about some of personal trials that I've been kind of going through. We were preaching in a series called uh, Hey You Matter, and uh, the, the series title that I was preaching on is that the hurting, the hurting matter. And so I gave you some experience that I, I was going through and, and still kind of going through that started four years ago of this pain that I was kind of facing. And the main takeaway that night was it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And we looked at a woman who had a, a problem bleeding for 12 years and she gave us some more takeaways. She demonstrated how she fought through, through community. She made the commitment to get close with Christ. And ultimately, she fell to her knees and she confessed in the presence of God. And if I had to be honest with you, I feel like since I prepared for that message two weeks ago that I have been under constant attack. That Satan's been trying to get a hold of my heart. That he's been putting lies and deceit inside of me. And I would be great, you know, when I got done preaching that message, it would be great that it went away. I, I, I preached it, I delivered it to you guys, but to be honest with you, it got worse. Seven days ago, Tuesday, is when it started, like ultimately. I was gone out of town all day with, with Josh Bailey, we were at Ikea, and uh, all day, I just felt like there was something not right. My chest, I don't know if you've ever had this feeling, but it just, it, it was pounding, it was anxious, it was, there was just something not off, and I remember just looking at him like, dude, I'm not, I'm not feeling right. I don't think I was overwhelmed by all the Ikea shopping we were doing at the time. Then the next day came, and it was still there. I remember calling my wife. I went to lunch with someone. We were celebrating just uh, a diagnosis. He just got cancer-free, and uh, it was a great lunch. And uh, I remember calling my wife on the way to the gym. I said, I'm not, I'm not okay. Something's wrong. She's like, well, what, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm going to the gym. Hopefully I can work it out. And on the way to the gym, I'm just praying, Lord, help me. I know the answer is don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And I'm praying for, for the Spirit of God, for God's presence just to be on me. And went to the gym, and if I had to be honest with you, when I was in the gym, I was just a blank stare. I was doing the workout. People were kind of talking to me, and I was 
just doing it. After that, I, I went to the, my next meeting, and I was, it was a great meeting. I was meeting with the leadership of our church. We're talking about just the future and the organization as a whole and how to take steps and how to create uh, more space in my schedule to be a high-capacity leader, and it was a really good one. But at the end of that, that meeting, with all the leadership in the room, I just had to say, I, I, can't, I can't do this right now. And of course, as good leaders do, they said, are you okay? And, uh, and that, of course, opened up the floodgates of me just uh, being a little bit more emotional than I, I, I wanted to be in front of your, your boss, right? Uh, and then I just said, I just, I just need to get some time away. Got in my car and just started weeping. No idea why. Again, no, nothing's going on in my life. Everything's good. Why am I feeling this way? Get in the car, I drive, and our offices for our multi-site are downtown, and I instantly, I'm, I'm crying so much, I don't know how to overcome it. I pull into Quincy Medical Group, and I'm just like, I, I guess I'll go to the doctor. I call uh, the doctor's office, and I was trying to get a hold of my doctor, and I said, is he available? And they checked, and like, what do you need to see him for? I'm like, well, honestly, I just... I don't know what I'm feeling. I just need to talk to somebody. I'm not okay. They're like, well, we can do a telehealth or we can set an appointment tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, here's the perks of having a family doctor that's your friend. I said, okay, I'll just, I'll just call him myself. So I texted him and I said, hey, call me when you can. I got back in the car and I called my wife and I said, okay. doctor calls, and I said, I gotta go, I'm talking to, to the doctor, and, and go back to the, the clinic, and he actually comes out to my car, and again, the perks of having a family doctor that you're good friends with, and he checks my blood pressure, it's through the roof, uh, my heartbeat is, was normal, but he could definitely tell there was something going on inside of me. I was having some type of anxiety attack for whatever reason, I remember again after that, uh, he helped me walk through some solutions and talk through the next steps. Remember that night, I said, Katie, we, we just got to be around people tonight. So she, as a good wife does, she calls our people in our life group. She schedules dinner. We go over there, and I'm able to open up a little bit because, again, for me to talk to other people about how I'm feeling is my way of saying I am not okay being this way. I'm not going to stay this way. And I just, for a little bit, I just felt like it was necessary. And honestly, I don't even know why that I feel like burdened to tell you guys this. The, the transparency of, of a guy who has authority, a, a teaching, and I think more so I just want you to know that I am not exempt. Nobody is exempt from this roaring lion, this, this prowling that, that Satan does, he tries to take us out. He tries to take us out. It carried through the week still. I remember on Sunday, I was here, and I went through service on Thursday, and I felt like I was in a good place, and Sunday came again, and more doubts, and I just felt like, man, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Do I need to give up? Not life. I'm not, I'm not suicidal, but do I need to, is ministry a burden that I can't carry anymore? And I had some, like, I'm over here listening to worship songs. I don't know how worship songs affect you guys, but it's getting to me. And I'm crying. 
and I'm alone over there, available for the church, and thinking, do I need to find something else? And then we sang a song that we haven't sang ever, or at least since I've been here, we sang a song that is older than probably most of you in this room. Uh, if you were here this weekend, it's called My All in All. And one of the lyrics that was sang in that song as I'm over there in the corner by the baptistry was, to give up, you'd be a fool. I finally felt peace. That God was with me. I was doing all the things. I was fighting through community. I was trying to get close with Christ. I was praying, but the shadow was overtaking me. And so I open with that, letting you know that we all go through shadows. And before I go any further, because I'm feeling such a heavy burden on this, and I still, again, don't have it all figured out, I'm going one step at a time, one day at a time, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to preach this message tonight, but he's good, he's faithful, I trust him uh, as he is in control, and I believe he's got a powerful word tonight. So, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into the sermon tonight. So, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this ordained moment. God, that even when we walk through these shadows that sometimes just feel like death, you are with us. Your rod and your staff, man, they protect and they comfort us. And so, God, I pray for my words, that they're not my words, that, God, that uh, your words are the one that is being heard louder than anything, God. But I just pray that as we find ourselves in the shadow, we cling to the light. And so, God, that's what this series is all about. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. We are in a new series. And you're just like, wow, that was maybe TMI? I don't know. Um, but we're going to be going through this series called Shadow Collection. And in this Shadow Collection, just to give you a quick series overview, this is what it's all about. Out of Romans chapter 8, when we draw near to Jesus, we live in the light. We cast a shadow that displays the evidence of Jesus. But this is what happens when we retreat into darkness. When we choose to just live in the pain, we live in the hurt, we live in the darkness. This is what happens. When we do that, we choose to live in the shadows that satisfy the desires of our flesh. And so tonight's message is all about the spirit versus the flesh. And so that's what we're going to dive into tonight. We're going to discover three things together in this journey. We're going to discover that we have a problem. We're going to discover that uh, the solution to that problem, because you never want to have a problem and not have a solution. And the third thing we're going to do is this, is how do we become part of the solution? How do we take ground? And so before we get into Romans chapter 8, I'm going to start in Romans 7, and then we're going to land in Romans 8 the rest of the time. But here's what it says. Paul is also being very transparent in his letter to the Romans. This is what he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 17. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. It's a lot. But we'll go a few verses later. In verse 24, it says this. 
This is where Paul gets to. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. In other translations, it says, what a wretched man I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? By a show of hands, how many people in this room have done something stupid in their life? Excellent. We're in the right room. I've done something stupid. I've done a lot of stupid things. How many of you, by a show of hands, have done something stupid and then repeated the same stupid thing before? Okay. We've got a lot of repeated stupid people, right? We're all on the same page. Like, you keep lowering the bar in your relationships. You keep going back to the same man, the same woman, you know it's not good for you. You know it's not healthy, but you return to it. You, you made other regrets in your life. Where you go out on the weekends and you get absolutely plastered with your friends. You get completely wasted. The next morning you feel bad. You may even come to church, which I always will tell you, don't ever feel like you can't come to church but when you come to church, you feel like, man, I wish I didn't do that. And then next week comes, your friends text you, they Snapchat you, and they say, hey, we're meeting up here. You know what's about to happen. You go, and you do it again. You do something stupid that you knew you weren't supposed to do, but you do it anyways. For some of you, it's porn. Like, you, every time you look at porn, you're just like, inside of you, maybe it, it satisfies you, but in the end, it makes you feel guilty. Maybe because of a relationship you're in. Maybe it's because you're like, hey, I know my future marriage is going to be affected by this. You feel bad for the moment. The next day comes around. You do nothing about it, and you do it again. That's what we do. Do you know what the problem is? Let's just say it. Here's the problem. It's you. It's me. It's the sinful nature that is living inside of us, and that is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 7. The first point, if you're taking notes, is this. The problem is you. And you're like, yeah, I don't, ouch. Let's talk about it. March Madness. I love March Madness. How many of you guys have filled out a bracket this year? Raise your hand. All right. Raise your hand if your team that you picked to win the championship is still in the bracket. Excellent. I see some hands. Raise your hand if you have a completely perfect bracket right now. You've gotten every pick right. Zero people. I guarantee it. You know why? Because it has never been done before. No one has ever recorded a perfect March Madness bracket, at least for the NCAA men's basketball, ever. Billions upon billions of brackets. No one's ever reached that perfection. But we still try, don't we? It doesn't stop us every year from feeling like, we got this. My team, Tar Heels. Every year I always took the Tar Heels to the championship. Not this year, though. I had them out in the second round. They lost in the first round. But... I still tried. You always hope for the best. But how many of us, and that's what our lives look like. We're just like, man, I, I can do life on my own. I can strive for perfection. I can do me. I can do whatever I want. I can, I can try to achieve perfection, but listen, you're never going to get it because here's what Paul says in Romans 3.23. He says, all have sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in these seats and standing right here, every person in this world, we have a sin problem. All of us. God has his standards, he's laid it out for us, and we cannot 
achieve perfection on our own. We miss the mark. I don't know about you, I had a dog when I was a kid. And when my dog, we were best friends, I loved him. I don't have a dog now, my wife won't let me get one. Um, actually, we had one, had to get him back. Long story, okay. And that's why she won't let me get one, um, to be fair to her. And when my dog was hanging around, I, all of a sudden I noticed it go, and he throw up. I'm like, dude, what, what in the world? I'm sure your dogs have done this too. I don't know if you ever noticed what a dog did after that, right? He goes away for a little bit, and he comes back, and he licks up his vomit. Anybody else dogs do that? Okay. That's just stupid. Repeating stupid. Like, he's picking up his vomit. He's returning to his vomit. But again, that is what we look like. That is our sinful nature. We throw up. We do something stupid. We make a mistake. And then we do it again, and we pick it back up, and we throw up again. The sinful nature gets a hold of us. It, it draws a grip on us through our addictions. It hurts the relationships around us. We have a problem. And it's a sin that's living inside of us. Now listen, here's some good news. We're going to take a deep breath. I have good news. It's not all bad. It's not all dark. The good news is, is there is a solution. And we're still in Romans 7. Stay with me. Verse 25, Paul continues. Thank God. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Here's the second thing I want you to hear. The solution to your problem, the solution to my problem is Christ, is Jesus. He can't fix you. And I can't fix me. I can't put myself together as much as I want to. As much as I want to achieve for perfection, I can't fix me. He's always been the answer, even through the Old Testament. Everything has been leading up to Jesus' life, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Everything has been leading up to Jesus. And so this is where we pick up Romans 8. And we're going to be in Romans 8 for the next six weeks, but tonight we're just in four verses, and it's going to go quick. And I don't want you to miss the good news. Here's the good news. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Sidebar. Listen. Romans 6 says that because of our sin, that is what causes death. All right, that's what's destruction. Because of our sin, it all leads to death. And so it's what it's saying is, because of Jesus, because of his life-giving spirit, he has freed us from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses, okay, the Old Testament, the, the new com uh, Ten Commandments, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. We're always going to break God's law because we're not able to do it by ourselves. So God did what the law could not do. I love this part. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Verse 4, he did this as the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the spirit. It's again the battle between flesh and 
and the Spirit. When we are in Christ Jesus, he takes the penalty upon himself. He looks at you, and he sees perfection now. Not because of anything you did. It's because of what his son Jesus did. He sees perfection and not failures. There's no condemnation in Jesus. Even though we've all sinned, even though you may have entered this room with a sin that you're still dealing with, even though when you go home tonight or you go into tomorrow, you are going to mess up, you're going to sin. He's saying, listen, there's no condemnation when you are in Christ Jesus. But does that mean we ought to just continue living in that sin? No, no, no. Let me tell you a story this way. We're talking about the death of Jesus, but I want to go back to his arrest. He was arrested in the garden. They came with him uh, with, with swords and clubs, and they arrest him. They put him on this trial, and he's in the governor's court, Pilate. He's in Pilate's court, and, and Pilate's talking to Jesus, and he's saying, Hey, are, are, you who you, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, It's as you say I am. You know, he's just kind of being real chill. And, and Pilate it, it comes to the conclusion that he's really not guilty. He doesn't deserve death. But instead of declaring him innocent, what he does is he goes to the people. And part of that tradition back then is you offered up two, and they were able to choose which one would go free. And so here's Jesus, the, the son of the father, and there's a guy by the name of Bar-Abbas. Sometimes I feel like I've always said Barabbas, but what I learned is it's Bar-Abbas. And here's why. Here's what his name means. His name, name means this, Bar is son, Abbas of the father. So Bar-Abbas is son of the father. Isn't that kind of weird? Like he's going up against the actual son of the father, Jesus. Then you have Bar-Abbas over here who actually is in custody of the Roman government because of the, the murders that he committed, because of he, he's a thief. He led an insurrection against the Roman government. And so here's this, this thief, this criminal against a perfect Jesus who's done nothing wrong. And, and Pilate's saying, who would you like to be released? And the crowd yells out, Barabbas, Barabbas. And Pilate's like, why? He has done, Jesus has done nothing wrong. And the crowd goes wild. They say, crucify him, crucify him. Do you get the picture? We we are Barabbas. We are the criminal. We are the sinner. We are the one that has a sinful nature. We did nothing wrong, but yet Jesus is the one that is condemned, and he covers the payment. He goes to the cross, and he dies a death that he didn't deserve. Barabbas deserved it because of his penalties. We deserve it because of our sin, but Jesus takes the place. So how do we respond to it? We become part of the solution. That is the last point tonight. We become part of the solution. Earlier this, this semester when we kicked off, we did a worship night. I did a quick Devo. I talked about uh, these letters, these steps of faith that, that as a collective, like, hey, if we can make a spiritual resolution, not for the full year, but just for the first few months, how would you respond? And you guys came forward. 119 of you guys came forward. You, you wrote uh, what you felt like God was calling you to do. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. If you weren't here, I'll, I'll talk about it and clarify it. 
and then you wrote your address, you sealed it. Those have not been looked at. For some of you, you picked them up tonight. For the rest of you, if you were here and you didn't pick up that letter, it's going to be up here for you to take. If you don't take it, we're going to mail it tomorrow or Thursday, and it's going to come to the address you addressed to. But you moved. And I wonder, how are we doing? You probably remember what you wrote that night. I remember what I wrote. I remember getting the letter and opening it up and seeing how I've been falling short. But we have to be part of the solution. We are the problem. Jesus is the solution. But we get to be a part of that. So what does that mean? It means that we have to live a life, this Christian life, if we're going to be in Jesus, if we're going to live a Christian life, Christ has to be in the center of your life. It needs to be a relationship that's growing, that is fruitful, that is convicting. You're growing closer in your relationship with him. You're taking steps, and that is why we created these things. There's 11 things on this that draws us closer, that takes us away from the flesh and moves us more into the spirit. So some of these things. I'm going to invite you again. And just a little bit when we start worship, whether you've done it before or this is your very first time, that you just come forward. And one of these 11 things, if God is calling you, man, I know that I am falling short in this area, that I am living in the flesh in this area, and I need to live in the spirit. There, it's listed right here, but I want to just recap just a few of them. And it all starts with the very most important decision you could possibly make, and that is accepting Jesus as your Lord and your Savior that you trust in him, that you believe he's the solution to the problem, that you have a problem, your sinful nature is the problem, and it's only through Jesus that you have no condemnation anymore, that he's rescued you. For some of you, you've never made the step of faith to get baptized, to declare it in front of everybody in this room, in the presence of the angels, and that might be your step tonight. That's where you start. If you want to live in the Spirit, it's got to go there, because if you don't have that, if you never made that decision, you're doing it yourself. You're doing it in the flesh. And you'll never reach where you want to go in the flesh. The second way to kind of live by the Spirit is to abide in Him and His Word. Reading the Bible, and I know that's a scary step for some of you. For some of you, uh, you're like, I don't even know where to start. Listen, there is an incredible resource called the Version Bible app. Get on there, get a plan, and just start reading it. Let the verse of the day just wash over you. Read your Bible. The third thing is serving a ministry. You've been sitting on the sidelines. You've been coming to collective, but you have gifts that God wants to use. And you've just been watching. You've just been a consumer. Instead of joining what he has for you and, and serving in ministry for the fourth one. This is tough for young adults. We talk about this every week. Trusting God with your finances it's given him the first fruits of your, your labor. Everything is his. He asked for 10% to show lordship in that area. Maybe tonight is the night you start that journey of tithing, or the fifth one is, is related, just going above the tithe. Man, investing in a ministry, a, a mission, being generous, blessing others. When you go through the Carter's line, paying for the person behind you and keeping that generosity going because of the love that Christ is and has for your heart. For some of you, it's prayer time. Just the daily conversation with Jesus. Or journaling. Writing down how God's speaking to you. 
For others, it's just being in community. This is a community, but you need to get in a smaller community, one where you can do life together. When you're going through trials, when you're going through shadows of darkness, you have your people to call that are going to lift you up. I needed that. There's a lot of darkness in here, and I'm, for some of you, you're being held by chains of addiction. It could be sex, it could be porn, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, and it's just overtaking you. And he's saying, man, it's time to seek help. Could be healthier friendships, choosing the right people, not just returning to your same vomit of friends who drag you down, who, who bring you down. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean you just forsake them. It just means you need to focus on healthier friendships for a season. And finally, I think this is a challenge for all believers in Christ, is we need to be better at sharing our faith, having boldness to tell our story, to talk about all the things that God is doing in our lives. That is where I am the most convicted of. I'm really good in a room full of believers. I'm not so good outside these doors when I'm at Jim City every Friday night or Tower on Saturday night and Qdoba on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Mostly. So I want to call you to respond. We're going to sing a couple songs. I invite you. There's, there's papers up here. There's pens up here. Bring these home. Put it in a place. This is what the Lord is convicting you to do. This is your steps. If you're like, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to continue to do me. Listen, I, I love you still. I want you to know that. There's no judgment for anybody that doesn't come up because I don't want anybody uh, to come up here because they're feeling pressure. Just know that this is a serious commitment you're making to the Lord that he is calling on your heart. So I invite you in the song to move to that. But for the rest of you, four years ago, my wife and I went to Dallas, Texas. We got some amazing tickets to the Cowboys game. Someone sent it to our, my home address. They knew we were going to Dallas. We gave us three tickets, one for my wife and I and one for her friend that was going with us. Had a parking pass in there. remember going to the game. I'm a huge Cowboys fan. You can judge me later. We can talk later. We can cry together because we stink. So, um, but I went to AT&T Stadium. Had these amazing, like I said, the parking pass gave me access to this premier lot. Got to see some players walk through uh, to get into the stadium. Then we go in. It's Monday Night Football. I'm behind ESPN. I'm waving like, hi, Mom. Like, you know, I'm that guy. Full experience, full access. Then we go to our seats, and we're four rows off the field. I'm like, this is incredible. And then I find out, you have suite access. I'm like, what's that mean? I asked the usher, and they're like, oh, yeah, you can follow me. You have access to go down below and go in the suite. And if you ever watch the Cowboys game, all those amazing field box seats right on the field. We had our own private one. It was just the three of us. Food, drinks, whatever we wanted. And I was like, this is so good. Let's keep exploring before the game starts. We made our way through some different gates because of our tickets. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves right where the Dallas Cowboys are coming out. And my man, Dak Prescott, who's the quarterback that just signed a million-dollar, multi-million-dollar contract, Ezekiel Elliott, all these guys you probably don't know, but I love. They are literally right here. And I'm giving Dak a, a pep talk. I'm like, don't you let me down tonight, Dak. I'm here. Travel from Quincy, Illinois. I had access to things I never thought was possible. And you know the best thing about it? I didn't pay a lick for it. It was free. Everything. Food, 
drinks, parking, the whole experience. It was amazing. And here's the good news. We have access to Jesus Christ. We have access to heaven for free. It costs you nothing. And it costs Jesus everything. And he says, listen, here is your name. It is written down. I already took it on the cross. This is what you deserve, but I paid for it. You have access to the Spirit of God. You have access to the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have access to heaven if you believe in me. And my call to you tonight is, man, don't miss out on that opportunity. If that is you and you've never, never accepted that invitation, tonight's the night. Cry out to Jesus. Say, I believe you are who you say you are. You are the king of my heart, and I need to surrender my life to you. And tonight, that could be the very best decision you make in your entire life. Better than a job, better than a spouse, that is the foundation. So that's you in this room. I'm going to be up here. There's going to be some people up here that I'd just love to pray with you, talk with you about that decision. And there is no excuse. There's nothing stopping you. Come to Jesus. Let's live in the spirit, not in the flesh. Would you guys stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, I am so thankful for this amazing community, God. A community where we can come and just be real together. A community where we don't have to pretend like we have everything together. That when someone comes up to us and says how we are doing, we don't just have to say, fine, I'm good. Because ultimately we know that we're not. We have a problem. We have a sin problem. But Jesus, thank you for being the solution. Thank you for coming to this earth and giving us salvation. Thank you for taking that condemnation upon yourself. But Lord... When we are in you, we have a part to play. We get to be part of the solution. And I just pray, God, that today, in this, this next moment, as we respond to whatever you're calling us to do, to live in the Spirit, God, that you would direct our path. You would give us boldness. You give us wisdom. You give us direction. God, we want to worship you in this moment. We want to move. We want to respond. And so, God, I pray for, for this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.